Well, welcome to this month's uh, live Ask Your Herb Doctor. Um, Sarah's not with us tonight. She's well, but she's not with us. So uh, we're doing the show uh, with Dr. P as a regular guest uh, this evening uh, and continuing uh, the last two months uh, topic of the endocrine system. Uh, I'd like to uh, break at some point during the show and uh, uh, intersperse some questions that we've had from people that have been emailed to us who, uh, for one reason or another, can't get um, Dr. Pete um, by email or whatever, but they're corresponding to me, and um, I'm posing these questions uh, this evening. And also, there is a uh, latest newsletter uh, from Dr. Pete. Uh, for those of you who um, don't know, and Dr. Pete does a monthly newsletter. I think it was bi-monthly. Dr. Pete might correct me uh, when he comes on. Um, but I think it's a monthly newsletter that he does. Uh, so for those people, as always, uh, who are interested in his work, there's lots of information uh, that can be found on the web now. I've been amazed at how the uh, web has exploded uh, the availability of knowledge uh, in all areas. And uh, Dr. Pete and his discussions with various different uh, people from politics politics to science and health uh, are available all over the internet as are these uh, broadcast and recorded programs uh, I found on the internet myself didn't even know they were there up until about a year ago but um, there's probably 60 or so YouTube shows uh, of this done uh, on the internet so for people that uh, want to hear more and they're titled by topic um, you can just go to the internet go to YouTube and type in uh, Dr. Ray Pete or Ray P. Andrew Murray, KMUD, uh, and also on our website, uh, I have a full archive uh, up until 2015. It's not that f not as full as it could be. I've got 2016s and a few of this year's, so uh, there's probably another 16 or 17 shows uh, that have yet to get put up. I will endeavour to get those done fairly soon. Uh, for people that uh, haven't really heard about Dr. Pete, we always get new listeners and uh, from time to time we get people that um, don't know anything about what he's uh, advocating and for them uh, there's plenty of information either on the internet uh, by typing in Dr. Ray Pete or going to our website which is westernbotanicalmedicine.com and looking at the resources tab on the right hand side and dropping it down to uh, ask your herb doctor uh, and also um, there's plenty of literature that Dr. Pete has published himself. So uh, he, does a, he does a newsletter, and uh, without going on too much about the newsletter, uh, this month's newsletter is uh, right up uh, right up our street as far as I'm concerned. <coughs> it's a, a kind of uh, continuation and expose of uh, <coughs> covert but now disclosed somewhat uh, CIA and other uh, foundational uh, groups that uh, basically uh, certainly ruling, if you like, uh, the top tier of society and moulding and uh, coercing the system to follow its edicts, and obviously that uh, comes with a lot of tyranny. Uh, most people that listen to this show as an alternative show uh, would probably agree that uh, there certainly is a tyranny at large, and uh, to resist tyranny, I think, is a, a call to arms, not necessarily with violence and guns, but to resist tyranny by immersing yourself in alternative education, and uh, the knowledge of that education is a powerful weapon against the tyrants who would tell us otherwise. So, Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yep. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your uh, your time on the show. Um, 
like I said, we'll go through uh, what I'd like to ask you about uh, with regards to the endocrine system, um, and then there are some questions posed by callers. Uh, as always, uh, people who are listening, uh, the number that uh, we open up from 7.30 to 8 p.m. for callers to ask questions uh, directly to Dr. Pete, uh, there's a 800 number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, and then there's the regular number, which I'll make sure is not changed, but it's uh, 923-3911. Um, so that is a local area code 707 number. So 707-923-3911, or if you added the area, or in Australia. Uh, well, not for Australians. I guess they can't use the 800 number, but they're on the internet, so uh, we can be reached through the internet too. But there's an 800 number, which is 1-800-568-3723, and we take callers from 7.30 on to the end of the show eight. So, <clears throat> Dr. P, I guess without uh, further ado, I uh, saw where we'd left off last month, and we just just got started into uh, the hypothalamus, and um, I brought out one of the things that um, struck me as kind of unusual, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about it. <laughs> so from, from last month, breaking the question, uh, what is a hormone and how the endocrine system regulates metabolism, uh, you discussed thyrotropin releasing hormone, uh, which stimulates TSH from the anterior pituitary as well as prolactin. Uh, now, prolactin is a hormone that's responsible for lactation in females. And, and so is there another mechanism perhaps to satisfy the TSH production in low thyroid individuals uh, to upregulate the T4 production, uh, which does not result in increased prolactin production. So for those of you who are listening, perhaps, the TSH is a thyroid-stimulating hormone, and this uh, is basically stimulated at the same time as prolactin is. So in low thyroid individuals, um, my question to you, Dr. P, is the potential for women to be exposed to higher than normal levels of prolactin and have you known women that would lactate when they weren't, uh, you know, nursing or outside of, um, you know, well, not outside of uh, menstruation, but uh, when women weren't fertile or uh, nursing? Is this something that you've actually found? Um, yeah, probably maybe a hundred women that I've uh, talked to who were uh, simply uh, hypo hypothyroidism was their basic problem, but um, uh, un unwelcome uh, lactation was just one of their symptoms. And uh, usually uh, there were menstrual irregularities at the same time, uh, either too much or too little uh, menstruation. And uh, just correcting their thyroid uh, function took care of the lactation and menstruation both. And uh, what it's doing uh, is uh, partly... Uh, it's uh, regulating uh, oxygen metabolism so that you can use your fuel very efficiently, keep your blood sugar steady so that you don't experience stress. Uh, estrogen is uh, in good health. It's produced for about 12 hours once a month in a big surge to uh, basically create tissue stress to uh, uh, stir up cell division to prepare the uterus and the breast and the other uh, tissues, the pituitary, um, are the main things um, that are activated by estrogen. Uh, low thyroid, by letting you uh, uh, 
get uh, low blood sugar uh, inappropriately. Um, At the same time, uh, it's uh, activating uh, the the stress hormones and uh, inactivating the parts of the liver that uh, are normally destroying estrogen as as soon as estrogen reaches the liver. Normally, the the, uh, the small amount of estrogen being produced under moderate stress is uh, kept very low by an active liver when the thyroid is is activating the liver. Okay. Um, uh, when when the thyroid is low, uh, estrogen tends to rise, and uh, both of these uh, tend to create a, an oxygen deficiency and a glucose deficiency. Uh, one intensifies the other, and uh, these are the, the first step in any kind of stress reaction, uh, and the, the stress reaction turns on your, your pituitary as a way to organize uh, the uh, adaptive system of the body, okay. uh, and uh, uh, prolactin in fish, prolactin regulates uh, salt and water metabolism. And mammals uh, have uh, uh, the uh, various uh, components of uh, milk formation involving both the flow of water and salts, but including proteins and sugar and such. Uh, So prolactin uh, in all animals has a range of of, uh, anti-stress functions, and lactation is just a, a useful uh, component for for handling the stress of, of uh, pre- pregnancy fertility. I, I picked up on what you said about <clears throat> estrogen being a uh, a uh, once monthly a twelve twelve hour period a once monthly surge. Um, but I, I just want to ask you this: it seems a very ubiquitous poison, uh, for want of a better word, that women are continually subjected to. What do you? What, how can you compare that to the background levels of estrogen that you are always advising women to protect themselves from, either environmentally or with, um, you know, things like pregnenolone or progesterone if they have uh, excessive inflammation going on in the body for from different causes? Um, any tissue of your body that is stressed uh, will start to produce estrogen. Right. It's right. a very basic reaction to yeah. stress. And so uh, uh, with aging, for example, uh, when you've lost some of your basic anti-stress hormones, thyroid and progesterone and pregnenolone, uh, then all of your tissues are are suffering uh, from oxygen and and glucose, uh, bad metabolism. Uh, They're simply not uh, interacting properly. And, and uh, that means that all of your your uh, tissues will uh, begin producing a little bit of, of estrogen. For example, the postmenopausal breast tissue is producing uh, several times more estrogen than it does uh, uh, during menstruation. Interesting. And if the liver slows down because the thyroid is low, uh, then that little bit that's been being produced by any stressed tissue is going to uh, pile up in the blood.
blood because it, it. it should be eliminated constantly uh, through the liver and kidney. Interesting. This this is this brings me back to some of the uh, some of the reasons for wanting to cover some of this endocrine stuff with you. Is that I think. And it's a little bit ties into your newsletter, funnily enough, like a lot of things do. Um, in terms of the brainwashing uh, that science has uh, been guilty of, uh, brainwashing the public into deceiving them to believe that things are a certain way, when actually there's previous research that showed exactly the opposite. That's been buried, uh, it's been closed up, and has been money's been diverted away from it and diverted towards the uh, the, the wanted uh, information. So. Uh, Again, when I was studying, I, I was under the impression that basically the ovaries uh, were the main estrogen-secreting organ in the female body, and that really men didn't really have estrogen. It wasn't, uh, you know, men had testosterone, female females had estrogen. Things were fairly simple. Um, but actually, it's really very different from that. And hearing that, I think you said any cell can essentially secrete estrogen in response to stress and inflammation. Yeah, and old men uh, get low uh, testosterone because their stress tissue is turning it quickly into estrogen. Right. This is a rom- this is a re- aromatization, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and a younger man uh, who is very sick or has an accident will have very high estrogen. Right. And that will bring up usually uh, prolactin and and growth hormone and a lot of adaptive yeah. uh, secondary. Hormones. Interesting. So I think hopefully by continuing, some other little tidbits will come out that uh, people uh, will pick up on and maybe start looking into things further themselves. I wanted to, again, do, just to get back briefly to that first question about lactation uh, and prolactin uh, being secreted um, in females and actually causing uh, some milk production. Is, I wanted to also ask, is it a quantitative issue or, you know, where there's not uh, enough prolactin being stimulated by the release of TRH or is oxytocin for example a more powerful uh, stimulator of lactation or not? Um, oxytocin uh, really is just to uh, release the milk once it's formed right. it isn't involved right. in, in directly in forming it right. uh, it's a suckling when, response uh, when I was a little kid during the depression uh, there were uh, very poor people uh, moving into Southern California, and uh, uh, some of them were, were finding jobs. And uh, one family we knew, uh, the the mother uh, was able to find a job when they, they had a baby that was a few months old. And the father, they, they'd been starving for years, and the father was able to lactate to, to nurse the baby while the mother was at work. Wow. Uh, that's... Uh, do you, do you see any difference, out of interest, do you see any difference in the quality of the milk? Or? Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. men aren't nearly <laughs> as good as lactating. <laughs> Not as and, much fat, and, maybe. Yeah, and, and it's a very extreme thing. Yeah. Uh, lots of men, when they came out of the uh, World War II uh, prison camps, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when they, they started eating, uh, they uh, got enough energy to uh, mobilize uh, cortisol and and uh, some thyroid and such, they began lactating because they had uh, injured their tissues much that they were very high in estrogen. Wow. I mean, it's, it's well documented now, and certainly not hidden, but uh, that male breasts or gynecomastia is a common phenomenon in males that are exposed to estrogen. And from the industry in England, the beer drinking, it's not uncommon for men that drink a lot of beer daily to grow basically breasts. And I mean, even in this country, uh, related to estrogen substances, whether it's the uh, 
hops uh, that the estrogen mimics in hops or even environmental mimics in plastics, etc., that get into the environment that um, some, some more sensitive, sensitive individuals are being uh, you know, exposed to. Um, yeast can produce estradiol, and, mm-hmm. and so they think that the, the yeast okay. fermenting uh, is a major source of the, uh, the uh, breast development in beer drinkers. Interesting. So it may not necessarily be down to the humulone, lupulone, or the other byproducts of uh, the hop. Uh, yeah, they're probably not as harmful as, as the... Uh, the yeast produced estrogen. Yeah, interesting. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor on KMUD Galbaville 91.1 FM. Uh, we're joined with Dr. Pete, uh, who's on the show, um, basically questioning uh, the endocrine system or what we understand about it and finding out some certain uh, differences and contradictions that perhaps people understand um, the facts by until they hear differently. Um, the number, if you're in the area, is uh, 707-923-3911. Or if you're outside the area, I would like to ask Dr. Pete uh, any questions uh, from 7.30 on. There's an 800 number, which is one 800 KMUD RAD, which is one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three. So let's uh, let's move on to the next hormone in the in the uh, hypothalamic section of this uh, endocrine discussion: the the uh, corticotropin releasing hormone. Um, how this stimulates uh, adrenocorticotropic hormone from the pituitary, the anterior pituitary, and this acts on the adrenals to promote and secrete cortisol. Now, most people have probably heard of cortisol if they're at all health-minded. Cortisol, cortisone, hydrocortisone, they're all kind of derivatives. Um, Most of these derivatives here have at some point in time and or are still being used uh, to control inflammation. And I've known asthmatics and eczema patients and psoriatic patients um, that have been prescribed cortisol and corticosteroids uh, to control that. Um, the natural production of cortisol is inhibited by a negative feedback mechanism, so we're never normally, naturally, constantly and chronically exposed to cortisol. It obviously has some beneficial effect, although I understand your interpretation puts a far more negative uh, view of cortisol, uh, probably in relation to its chronic exposure. But what dangers do you see in the chronic use of hydrocortisone, either topically or aerosolized, and what would be a better approach to quell inflammation then of this type that you're aware of? Uh, within the first uh, two or three hours of a, a big dose of cortisol or the synthetic glucocorticoids, the thymus gland starts shrinking, right. and the skin and muscles begin shrinking as the uh, cortisol shifts uh, the uh, metabolism in the opposite direction of <clears throat> testosterone. Right. Um, so the estrogenic to, side? Uh, uh, in, well, they activate uh, the proteolytic enzymes that break down the proteins and inhibit the uh, anabolic protein synthesizing mm-hmm. mechanisms. Uh, the brain, heart, and lungs are very uh, concentrated uh, uh, testosterone uh, uh, metabolizers and retainers. Uh, If you give someone radioactive testosterone, uh, you see uh, the uh, emission uh, from those organs, most of it from the heart and the brain, the lungs are are so full of air, you don't see 
much radiation, but the testosterone is there protecting these vital organs. But uh, when you give a big dose of cortisol, uh, you swamp that protective effect of progesterone and, and testosterone, wow. and uh, the tissues that aren't very well protected very quickly shrink. Mm-hmm. Your skin becomes thinner. Blood vessels weaken. You tend to get um, the little uh, bloody spots, petechial hemorrhages, okay. and, and bruise very easily. Lots of women uh, have constantly bruised thighs and sometimes upper arms uh, because of the, uh, uh, if they're low in thyroid and progesterone, then they compensate with increased cortisol, which weakens their small blood vessels and they bruise easily. Uh, if that continues over the years, it leads to the strokes and osteoporosis and the, the typical aging uh, wow. conditions. I've, uh, I've known people in England especially that, uh, I don't know whether or not the doctors there were just more uh, readily prescribing um, aerosolized inhalants, uh, corticosteroid inhalants for asthma and or uh, topical creams for eczemas, but it was the only thing that was ever really done. And I, I've known people that have been on these things for years and years, and I'm sure to their detriment. Um, you're, you're saying it's essentially switching off the protective anti-excitotoxic um, mechan- uh, mechanism and route by which inflammation typically or estrogen-induced inflammation is mediated. Um, yeah, and asthma is one of the typical estrogen-induced inflammations. Hmm. Uh, high estrogen women are very susceptible to asthma, especially during the night. And uh, one of the effects of estrogen is to uh, directly stimulate the adrenal glands to produce cortisol. So high estrogen leads to uh, weak blood vessels and and uh, shrinking bones and aging skin and uh, low immunity and such by the shrinking effect of cortisol on the thymus gland. And estrogen activates, shifts the balance towards serotonin away from dopamine. And uh, this shift in, in the serotonin-dopamine ratio is one of the things that activates the prolactin uh, system, mm-hmm. and it also, serotonin is one of the major activators of the corticotropic uh, release hormone, CRH. Right. Uh, so estrogen activates uh, the pituitary, uh, the uh, uh, hypothalamus, the adrenal glands directly um, to um, increase the, the uh, tissue breakdown effect. Okay, so I caught on what you said about uh, female asthmatics getting particularly worse at night, and this, again, I guess this is nighttime stress that worsens the inflammation? Um, uh, yeah, all of the stress low hormones blood sugar. rise during the night. Right, and again, in response probably to low blood sugar because of fasting or... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, hypoglycemia or uh, disturbed oxygen availability increase are both prolactin and, and usually growth hormone uh, stress induces, uh, I think, all of the uh, uh, pituitary hormones except for luteinizing hormone, the one that produces testosterone and progesterone. So uh, when, when you uh, activate 
uh, the, the, all of the other uh, parts of the pituitary, uh, you're likely to um, become sterile by uh, losing your progesterone and testosterone. Uh, I think from a, <clears throat> a male perspective, it's um, for those for those males that are listening. I know we do tend to get more uh, female listeners that I think intuitively are more nur- uh, nurturing and um, I don't know empathic, maybe. Um, but for the guys that are out there, I think testosterone is ex- ex- extremely important to reiterate, not just the uh, prostatic involvement with decreased testosterone, but um, to maximize your testosterone is the best thing that you can do f- as a guy because it is the counterpart to estrogen and it is the anti-excitotoxic um, route by which uh, inflammation is quelled and the body is governed by a orderly system of growth and sugar metabolism, etc. What's um, it's close enough in function to uh, progesterone in protective tissues yeah. uh, that um, it, it, they've um, experimented removing the ovaries from uh, rats after they've been uh, impregnated and then giving them testosterone during pregnancy. It is a progestin in that sense of being able to sustain uh, pregnancy in the absence of ovaries. Wow. Well, I guess uh, we do actually have a caller. So let's, let's, I'll pick up this uh, question I wanted to ask you about testosterone uh, for, the, for the males that are listening, just to help them uh, see their way forward through uh, any lack of uh, muscle and uh, muscle building and how testosterone is really very beneficial for you. And you can generate it yourself. You don't have to buy it, et cetera, et cetera. So let's take this first caller. Caller, you're on the air. And where are you from? Hi, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Hi. What's your question? I'm wondering, uh, can an imbalance of hormones influence someone's perception of his or her gender? I'm curious, as I'm certain we're constantly exposed to environmental estrogens, and um, I've also heard of instances like Caitlyn Jenner where, um, you know, Bruce Jenner knew from a very young age that he was the opposite gender. So what's your take on that? Yeah. Dr. Pete? Um, when that happens during gestation or in the first few months uh, after being born, uh, the actual uh, cell structure of the brain is still going on, and uh, it's uh, either masculinized or not uh, by the, the presence of, of testosterone, which is turned into estrogen, and estrogen in those stages of development is the masculinizing hormone. And so a deficiency of progesterone early in life leaves the uh, estrogen uh, unopposed and tends to masculinize uh, the, the brain. And so it can set up the, the feeling uh, of uh, the gender that is uh, chemically activated rather than what the, uh, the chromosomes were yeah, the physical. able to do. Does that, uh, does that answer your question? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, um, well, let's see here. We do have another caller, so let's take this caller. Next caller, you're on the air. What's your question and where are you from? Yes, um, good uh, evening. You don't sound... I'm calling okay. from Finland. Okay, I'll finish. Um, I would have a question. I, I've been reading uh, your wonderful Generative Energy book, and... 
basically it's prompted me to um, to think about what I think they call now transhumanism. Um, nowadays we have uh, basically the modern version of the six million dollar man. We have people with robotic hands. A friend of mine uh, with Parkinson's disease has uh, two chips in, implanted in his brain with remote control. And my question to Dr. Pete would be, do you believe that uh, this transhumanism uh, might fit into future evolutions of man? You know, I'm, I'm referring to this theory about life trending towards maximum metabolism, maximum energy. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. I, I think the, uh, the the technology is so simplified compared to what actually uh, is needed yeah. by the organism <laughs> to uh, maximize its 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 metabolism and uh, function and uh, experience uh, that I don't think the uh, the te technology is going to have a role in uh, future uh, development of, of uh, health, longevity, or uh, uh, brain development. It's, it's certainly not okay. going to be passed on to the next generation, so it's certainly a very temporal thing, and I think uh, from my perspective, the uh, the human body, and I think the psyche plays a much bigger part in the protection and the development of the human organism, uh, far more than perhaps people give real credit to for positive thinking, etc., 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 self-empowerment, uh, doing the right thing in terms of uh, everything that you propose in terms of nutrition and or some of the few supplements that you uh, recommend, things like thyroid and progesterone and things that protect the anti-inflammatory side, that I think we have a far better chance of living a, a genetically very healthy life and something that I think that can be passed on to next generations. And certainly we hear about in utero um, effects onto the, uh, uh, the fetus. I've, I've often wondered, I'm fairly interested about the transhumanism subject with, uh, like the callers mentioned, things like robotic <coughs> replacements and or chips to secrete or to prompt secretion of uh, neuropeptides, etc., etc., into the brain or other areas. But it doesn't continue. It's just a very temporal thing. I don't think it's something that can ever be transmitted. But what can be transmitted is a mental state of mind that is based on positive thinking, uh, creating that and harmony and, you know, whether it's yoga or doing, you know, exercise and getting outside and just appreciating everything that you have around you rather than looking at negative things, which I do hear people calling about from time to time uh, in terms of help with negative emotions and how it's actually one of the questions, funnily enough, later on uh, for the show. But this is May, something that can... Can I ask a, a follow-up question? Go ahead, yeah. Um, I was wondering about, uh, because uh, this is a topic that I, I haven't heard on the show yet, but we're also in an increasingly uh, hairless society. Uh -huh. People want to shave more and more of their bodies more and more regularly. Well, How stressful is frequent shaving to the body, in your opinion? Well, it's interesting you say that. I'll just jump in there, Dr. Pete, before I let you answer. But I, I read the article just a couple of days ago. Actually, it was on the Drudge Report. Uh, it was that the increasing 
hairiness of females is actually is becoming uh, recognized in polls. I think they did a poll in 2004. I think 95% of the females shaved. Uh, they did a recent poll here. Uh, I think it was down to 78, and they were saying that essentially there was more nat au naturel was becoming more uh, becoming more normal. Uh, whether or not you're talking about the hair on a male's head from a baldness perspective, I don't know, caller. But um, Dr. Pete, what do you think about the? Uh... Um, I think the hair on the head actually has the, the function of, of preserving heat, help, helping to keep the brain warm. Uh, wearing a wool hat will. Uh, substitute somewhat for uh, not having enough hair on the head. And the um, other hair, uh, armpits and pubic hair, I think that has the uh, function of helping to distribute pheromones. Right. Uh, somewhat the, uh, uh, like the hair, facial hair and arm hair probably has uh, that pheromone distributing function. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think the the body hair that is tending to uh, uh, appear more often in women is is a sign of stress that uh, uh, it's probably related to that uh, pheromone system uh, shifting uh, to a, a, an exaggerated uh, uh, steroid production in the skin. Okay, well, thanks, thanks for your call, caller. Uh, so for, thanks for the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for uh, calling in. <clears throat> for people who want to call in with any questions, uh, if you're in the area, 923-3911, that's a 707-923-3911, or if you're outside somewhere in the States or even in a different country, uh, 1-800-KMUD-RAD, 1-800-568-3723. So, Dr. Pete, just to carry on uh, with testosterone a little bit, it's a bit of a divergent question, but um, in terms of men being able to maximize their testosterone production without thinking they have to go to the gym and get aerobic and pump huge amounts of weights uh, to build muscle, um, what would you say would be a good um, program uh, for a male who wanted to increase uh, lean muscle mass in order to be exposed to more testosterone? Because it's the muscle itself that actually promote a testosterone surge in the body and uh, by it, its own mechanism will directly relate back uh, to testosterone itself. Uh, yeah, muscle contraction activates the synthesis locally in the muscle of testosterone and decreases the cortisol activity. Uh, so uh, good physical work uh, is probably the, the central thing to keeping your testosterone up. Uh, it, it shouldn't be episodic, uh, <laughs> intense, stressful right. work. That is known to lower your testosterone and increase cortisol. Yeah. And uh, uh, at the same time, uh, keeping your metabolic rate up so that you can uh, do more uh, intense activity without it being stressful. Uh, having your liver very healthy Stocked. is essential for keeping your yeah. testosterone up because otherwise the uh, episodes of falling blood sugar yeah. activate cortisol, estrogen, all of the other uh, stress hormones. Yeah. Okay, so stocking your liver with plenty of sugar, uh, not being aerobic about your approach to exercise, and ideally having more of a kind of uh, a work approach that is a physical type of work, um, yep. if you're possibly able. Okay. So moving, <coughs> excuse me, moving on to dopamine, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. I know we've mentioned um, the discussion related to Parkinson's and Parkinsonisms 
uh, we said that um, this dopamine itself inhibits prolactin release and helps regulate emotional responses and their reward and pleasure response is something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, this enables a person not only to see the rewards but, but to take action to move towards them and lack of dopamine has been cited and implicated in the propensity to addiction. Uh, if you want to feel better and mood enhancing drugs are a route to this, does this imply that many addicts have naturally low levels of dopamine and may develop Parkinson's type symptoms in future? And would dopamine supplementation be useful to wean addicts uh, or prevent addictive behaviours uh, from developing? Um, I, I think that uh, even in Parkinson's disease, I think the, uh, the, the studies are moving towards uh, thinking of a balance between serotonin and dopamine and the other symptoms. So you're uh, thinking of serotonin excess might exacerbate? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are somewhat antagonistic. For right. example, uh, serotonin increases uh, the CRH and prolactin. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, dopamine tends to inhibit them. And, uh, so this bowel, a bad, um, bad bowels or bad bowel function or poor elimination would certainly speed that serotonin excess up, wouldn't it? Um, yes, uh, nitric oxide, endotoxin, and serotonin <laughs> all shift your, your body towards the stress. And uh, progesterone and its derivatives in the brain, allopregnenolone, for example, okay. uh, are important for uh, keeping the, the balance in the right direction. Uh, estrogen... Uh, increases the serotonin and stress progesterone tends to uh, reverse that and increase the balance towards uh, uh, dopamine. So do, do, you, do you think, though, that th this would be any reason or cause for Parkinson's down the road, though, perhaps if people uh, have addictive natures, if it is at all connected with um, lack of dopamine? Um, well, I, I think you can correct it most safely uh, with uh, progesterone and uh, testosterone, or the the precursor of both of those, uh, sure. pregnenolone, yeah. uh, because uh, when you try to push the the dopamine system, yeah. uh, you tend to increase oxidative damage, uh, yeah. and and it's safe to uh, work uh, yeah. uh, at the anti-stress level yeah. rather than pushing the end product of dopamine. Got it. So improve improve muscle. Uh, muscle mass, uh, plenty of sugars, then obviously pregnenolone, thyroid, all um, helpful and anti-inflammatory aspects. Uh, yeah, and keeping the, the toxic fats down right. and sugar uh, stable. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask you about um, uh, growth hormone? So the uh, growth hormone releasing hormone stimulates growth hormone release from the pituitary again, from the anterior pituitary. Uh, and this has regulatory effects on protein, carbohydrate, and lipid metabolism, as well as promoting slow-wave sleep, often referred to as deep sleep. And I know people that perhaps uh, have uh, sleep issues where uh, they're unable to get into that phase of deep sleep. I did read that the um, slow-wave sleep was apparently, but I know this is not particularly true because I know you think it's very much related to low blood glucose, um, but uh, the slow wave sleep was implicated in nightmares uh, and um, sleepwalking, especially when sleepwalking was uh, joined to raiding the fridge at night and to eat. I found that quite a bizarre connection, but 
everything is well it's been well known in popular culture i've even seen i remember an old an old advert when back in the 1970 uh for r white's lemonade and the um the advert was more or less this person was getting out of bed and was sleepwalking downstairs to the fridge where he'd go open the fridge door and there'd be a bottle of R. White's lemonade there and he would sit there drinking it and his wife would come down saying, what's going on? <laughs> but anyway, between the um, desire, to, desires to eat, sleepwalk and uh, growth hormone, uh, do you think the uh, deep sleep uh, that it relates to uh, is is in any way, uh, do you think this is a real uh, a real uh, you know, Subject, or do you think this has been again mismanaged scientifically? Um, no, I, I think deep sleep is, is important as a restorative uh, part of your brain function. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people would uh, be happier and healthier if they would eat during the night. Uh, people uh, who resist eating near bedtime or during the night uh, often. Uh, have uh, more stress, uh, more hypoglycemic uh, insomnia, uh, and most people can uh, get back to sleep if they have, uh, it could be orange juice or lemonade or a milkshake or ice cream or it's almost, it's almost a cultural barrier uh, where there's this feeling that if you eat close to bedtime, you're just going to put it on as fat. I, the, uh, I think I've, I've certainly heard that doctrine that excess carbohydrates are stored as fat, which I don't know that it's completely inaccurate, but the uh, the nighttime stress that is achieved by lowering your blood glucose is probably offset by the very fact that you're going to consume some uh, glucose before you sleep. Um, yeah, it's very important to restore your glycogen level during sleep. I think that's one of the main purposes of sleep is to... Uh, uh, get the glycogen back into your brain cells and heart cells and other other tissues uh, that so that you can expand it uh, to resist stress during the daytime. Right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let me just move on to a few questions that I have that I know people have written in that wanted to get your take on this. Um, I had two questions for one listener. One of the questions uh, goes: Did Jimmy Carter's cancer cure have anything to do with receptors? Isn't the entire cell a receptor? Question mark. Um, I think he was having a standard chemotherapy for a while, and then brain radiation, oh. and then he got this new antibody that is specific for uh, uh, allowing cells to undergo the normal uh, apoptosis. Uh, so uh, uh, statistically, it. it doesn't uh, look like a, it was a, a terribly impressive cure because uh, the, the number of people studied was not very big and the percentage who responded well, I think it was 24%, uh, had a, a temporary uh, re regression of, mm. of the, the tumors. Right. Uh, and that happened in a lot of the people who had only the preceding uh, brain radiation. Okay. All right. There are, there are other questions. Um, I wonder that it might be a little bit self-explanatory perhaps, but it says, since gums like carrageenan and xanthan gum are toxic, does the same apply to gums like frankincense and myrrh? Um, the, the, the carrageenan and xanthan are um, uh, basically uh, uh, polysaccharides. The carrageenan is a sulfated polysaccharide, mm -hmm. and 
I think all of the uh, sulfated polysaccharides, uh, besides their own heparin, uh, I think all of those are toxic and dangerous. And the uh, uh, xanthan gums and uh, gum arabic and uh, lots of the, the plant gums are uh, not digestible, but they can support bacterial growth in the intestine, uh, where the carrageenan is specifically pro-inflammatory and very dangerous. The other gums are, are simply nuisances that uh, right. tend to uh, increase bacterial growth and uh, gas production and such. Yeah. Where the uh, frankincense and myrrh contain uh, lots of uh, anti-inflammatory substances, uh, probably anti-cancer effects, mm -hmm. uh, some steroid-like molecules, uh, not not so different from testosterone and progesterone. They seem to have a, a, an anti-inflammatory, anti-proliferation uh, uh, yeah. effect on cancer I, cells. I wasn't aware of uh, myrrh uh, being used internally, but I've known frankincense for a long time, especially by the Bedouins. Uh, they'll chew frankincense straight off the tree in the poles so that it comes formed in when it dries to uh, freshen their breath and as a, a kind of uh, bacteria static for their teeth and their mouth. I've heard of people eating the, the crude gum ground up uh, just by the spoonful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And oh, not, and on okay. the issue of, of receptors, yeah. uh, the, the, there, there are actual proteins that are called receptor proteins, uh, but uh, my position is that since the condition of the cell uh, determines what a particular substance binding to that receptor is going to do to the cell, mm -hmm. uh, it, it isn't uh, as meaningful as, as uh, some people think to uh, activate a receptor because uh, it can have opposite effects depending on the history of the cell and the present uh, condition of other cells. Uh, while we're talking about st cells, uh, just quickly, what, what's your view of, on stem cell technology? Do you think it's a, uh, a real way forward to um, turn around degenerative processes? What do you think about stem cells? Yeah, I think yeah. we're full of stem cells, yeah. and <laughs> what we have to do is activate them intelligently. Yeah. Well, do, you think, do you think the research is going in the right direction? You probably know more about what is actually being conducted in some of these experiments and see if it's actually reasonably positive to, uh, to bring about something positive. Um, yeah, finding out exactly what the kind of stress signal is that activates them. Uh, it, it's already known that, that many t types of stress will, will activate the uh, maturing of stem cells and that uh, things like progesterone and testosterone, uh, once they have been activated, will keep them going in the right direction so that they replace tissues rather than replacing uh, cancer. Uh, when they kill cancer by radiation or chemotherapy or, or surgery, uh, the cancer tends to come back even though they remove the tumor right. completely right. because the the place where the cancer was has been injured and it calls out to the body for stem cells to repair the damage. <laughs> and being damaged itself yeah. as a framework, yeah. it misdirects the stem cells so they develop into cancer. Well, we have a caller that's just called in. So let's take this uh, next caller. Call away, away from, and what's your question? 
Hi, um, I'm. My name's Derek. I'm here in Denver, Colorado. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. What's your question, Derek? Um, well, first off, I just discovered this show not too long ago, and it's it's fantastic. I really appreciate um, you taking your time to to do this for the public. Um, so, I, I I've been into nutrition research for the last. I don't know, last five years or so, and um, looking into, I, I've had a lot of food intolerances and uh, looking into, like, gut permeability, mm-hmm. and I'm curious, Dr. Pete, your your take on, because um, a lot of these protocols involve avoiding otherwise really nutrient-dense foods, um, eggs, dairy, um, <clears throat> et cetera, so I'm, I'm curious, I've looked into uh, controlling endotoxin um, through various polyphenols. I know you talk about the carrot salad and, and bamboo shoots, but um, is there any other compounds you like to incorporate to, to heal or strengthen the, the lining of the intestines? Uh, I know gelatin can be beneficial. The... The nutrients that are most uh, important are magnesium and vitamin A, just uh, for the Mm. actual uh, replacement and repair of cells, but uh, the the whole range of of nutrients, uh, protein, zinc, uh, uh, vitamin D, uh, anti-inflammatory things like vitamin E and vitamin K, uh, everything is really essential ultimately for uh, protecting the intestine. So having liver and eggs and milk and orange juice, uh, for example, uh, can uh, often get the repair going. Uh, I think the reason uh, eggs have a bad reputation is that they are extremely concentrated protein, and if a person eats an egg or two, Without carbohydrate, their blood sugar is going to fall for sure, especially if their liver doesn't have good uh, glycogen stores. The egg will drop your blood sugar. That will activate mast cells, and you'll have allergic reactions. And uh, ah, that, any that fewer protein I, you know, without the carbohydrate, you're, you're going to increase inflammation. And uh, sugar and progesterone are... Uh, and aspirin are things that will protect you uh, from those surges of of uh, histamine and serotonin, et cetera. And, and does the histamine get produced because you don't have enough glycogen due to a cortisol spike then? Uh, well, a uh, low thyroid ultimately is, is the uh, most common reason for not having enough uh, glycogen stored. Uh, and uh, the the cortisol weakens the tissues so that uh, uh, yeah even though it helps get your blood sugar up and momentarily protects the glycogen in the long run it's adding to the problem of of uh, unstable blood sugar and anytime your blood sugar falls uh, the mast cells are likely to degranulate and that's influenced by uh, a lack of testosterone and and progesterone or an excess of estrogen. 
And, and am I correct in understanding that um, thyroid is oftentimes, or lack of thyroid hormone is oftentimes uh, a root cause of uh, small bowel overgrowth or SIBO, um, which can yeah, because uh, you're, kind of you're, be a root cause of leaky gut. Your digestion slows down uh, when your metabolic rate slows down from hypothyroidism. Right. And, and so your stomach, right. your stomach becomes sluggish, doesn't secrete much, and doesn't move fast enough. Uh, people might have transit time. They might eat a carrot today, and it might not come out for four or five days. Uh, that's sure. what happens with hypothyroidism. And speeding up your digestion and secretions, it should be so active, streaming fluid from your stomach and, and pancreas and liver should wash your whole small intestine clean so that there no bacteria can thrive in it. And and Dr. P, real quick, I, I don't want to hold you up too long. Um, is there a a uh, a good quality nutrition based textbook that that you find um, favorable that kind of gets into uh, good uh, mechanisms uh, with nutrition and hormones and, and uh, their relation? Not that I know of. You can. Yeah, and that's what's <laughs> tricky. Um, I mean, I know there's some great online databases for uh, some good research that's put out there, but I just didn't know if you had a recommendation there. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Years ago, I've seen some really good monographs on particular uh, topics like uh, how the intestine uh, works, uh, how the digestive glands work, and so on, but I don't know of one that has put everything together. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I guess that's part of the journey. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah, you're welcome. If you want to uh, email me, my email address is andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, we've produced a pretty comprehensive um, three or four page breakdown of those uh, things that Dr. Pete definitely advocates and those things he definitely doesn't advocate. So that's certainly been very useful in guiding a lot of our uh, clients to a better place. Uh, Dr. Pete, thank you so much for joining us again. Okay, thank you. Um, for those people who perhaps, like the last caller, have never really listened to Dr. Pete but just discovered him recently, um, he can be found on the internet at www.raypeat.com uh, he has lots of uh, archived uh, and uh, referenced material uh, so most of the most if not all uh, of the articles that he writes are fully referenced uh, and they range in broad terms from thyroid to sugar to progesterone um, to diabetes I mean it covers a wide range of situations and gives you the uh, the scientific rationale behind why he's advocating what he's advocating. So uh, it's not just uh, flippant off the top of his head. Uh, it's based on a lot of research and based on a lot of uh, previous uh, good science, uh, which unfortunately is becoming fairly bad science today. And uh, if we get time next month, we'll get into the um, news, newsletter that he's produced. It's uh, titled Language and Criticism of Science. Uh, we've done quite a few exposés of... Uh, whether it's Codex Alimentarius after the Second World War and the development of the global corporate structure uh, which would uh, squat on our necks um, to this uh, discourse that Dr. Peters outlined in his new newsletter.
mentioning uh, people, organizations such as the CIA and the CF, CCF and the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations all basically being in on it. Uh, we'll get into that next month. But um, for those people who want to find out more about him, raypeat.com. Uh, we can always uh, be reached uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, toll free numbers one eight 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 WBM Herb, uh, or it can be emailed Andrew or Sarah at WesternBotanicalMedicine.com. Um, so next month uh, we hope to be here. I don't have any plans, but uh, I may may or may not end up uh, getting off to England. But um, based on the fact that I'll be here, it's going to be already the solstice so it's already going to be upon us so this will be uh, the last month of increasing day length uh, so between here and the next couple of months uh, you've got a chance to get exposed to lots of sunshine get that anti-inflammatory red light get your vitamin d going uh, make sure you're drinking plenty of milk getting plenty of sugar fruit juices at night time keep your stress hormones down uh, look at your temperature and pulses see how your thyroid's doing and address it uh, it's certainly a very simple way of putting things right so between thyroid and anti-inflammatory hormones and get your testosterone up guys um certainly put you in a better place all right and it's all pretty much free of charge you know okay so uh, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll speak to you next month <laughs>